Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I am super excited to bring you today's featured guest, Celeste Headley. Celeste, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if there's anybody out there who doesn't know Celeste, let me give you a little background on her. Celeste Headley is a public broadcast radio show host and author. She may be best known for the TED Talk that she gave back in 2015 entitled 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation, which clearly hit home for many people as it has been viewed by more than 12 million people. CNBC actually recognized Celeste as having one of the most watched TED Talks in 2016, and Glassdoor named Celeste as having the number one must-watch TED Talk for every recruiter and hiring manager. Now, Celeste speaks to groups around the globe about the art of conversation and focused listening. Her first book, Herd Mentality, was released in May of 2016, and her second book, We Need to Talk, how to Have a Conversation that, that Matters is a Practical Guide to the Lost Art of Conversation, and that was released in September of 2017. So, Celeste, do me a favor. Would you take a minute and just kind of give us a glimpse into how you got started being an expert on how to have better communication? Well, I really wanted to be a better interviewer, right? That's what I was doing at the time when I first started the research. I was the host of a of a public radio show called The Takeaway. And so I started doing a lot of research into conversation and reading all of the anything I could find really on how on, on better conversations. And the the thing was is that I I do interviews constantly and in over the course of my interviews I'm talking to every possible kind of person, you know, from a, a truck driver all the way up to senators and presidents. So I have a chance to try out that advice. And what I found was that it, it didn't work. Um, and I would test them out. You know, they would say things like, you know, maintain eye contact or whatever the, the, the advice was. And I would try it for a couple weeks and then see if it made things better. And it never did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, I'm going to have to start from scratch. I just got to dump all of this advice and and try to figure out what works. And it, it led me to some, in some t cases, some kind of surprising or maybe unexpected scientific studies. But eventually I, I landed on these 10 things that I know I guarantee you they'll work because I, I tested them and experimented with them um, with all kinds of different people. And they worked in every situation, not just work, not just at my work, not just in the studio, but at home and everywhere else. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you actually got to field test it. And, yeah. And actually go, well, let me try this. No, that one doesn't work. Let's try this. No, that doesn't work either. Wonder why these are out there. Exactly. I know. I really started to wonder if any of these experts had actually followed their own advice. It just did not make any sense. Yeah. And, you know, 
You speak to something that's so important because, you know, here on the show, we talk about partnership a lot. And, and clearly, if you're in a partnership, communication is a key element. And constantly I hear complaints, you know, oh, we have terrible communication. or I really want to have great communication with my partner. But as much as we want that, most of us don't have any idea how to do it. Yeah, it's funny. And, and you know, what's what's interesting, another thing that's sort of interesting to me is that they've even taken that assumption that we don't know how to do it into the lab, right? And they've even tested that. And it turns out most of us really do know um, we have this sort of sense of, of how to communicate properly and what's right and what to do. There's just all these things getting in our way. And, and I think one of the, the, one of the reasons so many people responded to the Ted talk was, um, it just gave them an excuse, right? It was like, okay, just do this. And then they tried it out and found that it it, it worked. But in the end, a lot of people say, you know what, it's common sense, I guess. And it is, that's exactly what it is. It's common sense. It works because it's, this is what works for, for people, for all human beings. And it, on one level, we kind of know that, and we just need someone to explicitly explain. Yeah. You know, it, I definitely would have to agree. I mean, certainly many of the, the points that you make in the talk are, you know, obviously common sense when you boil it down. As a matter of fact, I have one on my, my wall here that's a, a, a reminder to me, which is keep your mouth shut, keep your mind open, always be prepared to be amazed, and you will never be disappointed. Yeah. And it's common sense, right? It's like, well, let's see. I'll learn more if I listen. I mean, there's lots exactly. of different ways we've heard this. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's just, I mean... I think that we just get so caught up in what's inside our heads. Um, we get very distracted by what's going on in our heads. And there's also this thing that's called Abilene's paradox. Have you heard of that before? No. Um, it's the it's what scientists use to describe the phenomenon where a whole group of people will make the wrong decision because they assume it's what everyone else wants. Wow. So, for example, everyone's sitting on the train and nobody's talking to each other, even though talking to strangers on the train will make you happier, physically better and healthier, neurologically smarter and, and, and better cognition. And yet nobody does because no one is talking, right? Nobody talks because no one's talking. <laughs> It's it's Abilene's paradox, and it, it, once you can break through of that, um, you'll find that you know, there's this great thing that Nicholas Epley, a researcher in Chicago, says, and it's one of my it's become one of my mottos. He says nobody waves, but everybody waves back. Oh wow! Right. So in a way, it, it, this is about initiating it. You know, that's so funny because I, I grew up in a, a small rural community in Illinois and my friends that would come to visit from Chicago that I knew in college used to call it the wave game because they thought that it was funny that everybody waved around us. But we waved because we knew everybody. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, you guys all waved each other. I'm like, that's because we know everybody. And so they yeah. would see if they could get people to wave. And I'm like, of course they're going to wave. Why of course. But, you know, you know, it's just to to be clear, I had a friend of mine who was very skeptical of that and said, yeah, but not in New York. So <laughs> when we were walking around New York, I said, just, okay, fine, watch. 
I mean, what what percentage of people do you think will wave back at me? She said, 20%. And so we walked around the streets. And let me tell you, nine out of 10 people waved back. Nine out of 10. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't all have been tourists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And I, I love what you were just saying there about Abilene's paradox, because I, my, the thing I was going to ask you is, why do you think we believe that we're bad communicators? But if we're all doing what we think the other person wants, that makes for bad communication. Yeah, and we think everyone wants to not be spoken to. And it's and I, I don't want to say it's all that, because there's also a sense by which this assumption has also become part of our culture. And let me explain that as clearly as I can. In other words, um, you know, we have a quiet car on the train, but everywhere else on the train, it's okay to talk to people. But having the quiet quiet car on the train has changed the culture of the train to where people now assume people want to not talk on the train. And so they don't. And the same is true, has become the truth in real life. big thing that takes us away from communicating with other people. And again, I want to emphasize, this is despite the fact that belonging is perhaps beyond food and water, um, sleep and shelter. Belonging is the most primal need that human beings have. And, And so by not talking to one another, we are literally not fulfilling a need that humans have that is evolutionary it is biological right so it is definitely not good for us but we're choosing to do it for a number of reasons one of them being that we assume that's the the social norm and so again it's kind of ironic and and stay with me here we assume the social norm is to not strike up conversations with people here in the 21st century and therefore we think we're fulfilling the need to belong by not striking up conversations and in in literal fact we're doing the opposite yeah wow yeah that, right that is so it's interesting a- <laughs> You know, it, it, it's made me think about something that happened to me um, actually many years ago. Um, I was at my 10th high school reunion. So mm-hmm. it's a room full of people that went to high school together. And in my small town, we probably went from kindergarten through high school together. <laughs> so we knew each other really well, right? And we're in this big banquet hall. and Everybody's, you know, sitting down at different tables. And all of a sudden, it gets really quiet. And nobody's talking to anybody. And here's a room full of people that know each other since birth, basically. And they're not saying a word. And finally, Todd Walker, who was kind of a cut up in our class, just yells out, talk, people. It's not like you don't know each other. (laughs) But there was even in that environment, there was this assumption of, okay, we've done our niceties. We said hello. And now we're just going to sit here. Yeah, it's so strong. And and I think that um, there's a number of things that feed in to that. And this isn't just at at home either. Like there's a lot of evidence showing that actually having a friend that you speak regularly at work not only makes you happier, but it makes you a much better employee. You you're more likely to be engaged, you're less likely to quit work, uh you're more likely to uh 
tolerate when things go wrong. Um, people who have a friend at work are just better employees. So even at work, for some reason, employers have this idea that it's better to discourage that kind of chit chat, right? Because you're afraid they're going to waste time. But the evidence doesn't show that pretty much at all. Um, for the most part, people who have find that sense of belonging at work are are just better employees um, and you'll retrain, retain them longer. And, and the same is sort of true in social situations. It's, there's just almost no downside to it. And yet we have this feeling, like employers do, that that chit chat wastes our time. But what's really wasting our time is this dopamine addiction we have to constantly refreshing our Twitter feed and our Facebook feed and our email. Mm -hmm. That's a huge waste of time and is terrible for you, I might add. Yeah. But the chit-chat fulfills, uh, fulfills needs, biological, social, neurological needs, and it is never a waste of time. Interesting. Interesting. So I want to ask you, Celeste, since, again, we... we focus so much on, on partnership here on speaking of partnership. Have you heard or do you know of any research that shows that there's a distinction between the genders when it comes to communication? You know, this is a really interesting question and I, I, I actually get it a lot. And, and on one level, I have to say, I, I don't know the answer to it. But the reason for that is because so much of our research for the past, you know, half a century at least, has been carried out by mostly male researchers. And the reason that matters is because it really skews the results. Mm -hmm. So for example, we had scientific evidence that women were more emotional than men, right? For a very long time. But it turns out that they weren't including anger as an emotion. And when you, <laughs> when you include anger, men are significantly more emotional than women. And this is just an example. So for, for a long time, we have had this evidence that women were, say, were more, um, more liked to talk about uh, emotional things and connections and et cetera, et cetera. And men like to talk about business or science or rational things. But you can imagine how skewed a result that is um, and why it matters now that some of this research is being carried out by women. I will say, though, that culture has made us different speakers by gender. And by that, I mean that men, for example, men say that they lose interest in a woman talking after 90 seconds. That's a, a, that was a poll taken of men with them self-reporting, that they only listen carefully for about 90 seconds and that men feel they are worse listeners than women. I have no way of telling you if that's true or not. That's just what's self-reported, right? Um, so maybe culture, our culture has made it such that it's not always acceptable for a man, especially a heterosexual man, to want to listen to stuff about somebody's friendship or about a TV show or whatever it may be. It could be cultural rather than gender, biological gender, that makes those differences. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I uh, said it, it could be <laughs> ah, very funny. I had to do that. I couldn't help it. <laughs> that was awful. And I fell for it. Yes. Yeah. So th this is really interesting. And, you know, it's, 
I'm curious if like you have any like personal experiences where you've seen, you know, the impact of, of poor communication or good communication for that matter on a partnership, whether it be, you know, professional or, you know, personal, family, whatever it is. But where have you noticed this? Like, what's an example you can share with us? So I think, I mean, a, a great example would be, right, the breakup of the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, like, we you, we, you see partnerships all the time that go wrong because of bad communication. And in my own life, that has certainly been the case. Um, I, I famously was one of the hosts of The Takeaway. There's been a lot of headlines about the the culture that developed with John Hockenberry as my co-host. And I, I have to say that a lot of that, I mean, clearly there was more going on there, but a lot of that came down to extremely disrespectful and uncivil communication, right? So it can go as bad as that, or it can be as innocuous as just someone who feels like they're not being listened to. And that may even not be the case. Um, Somebody may be being heard, but if they don't know they're being heard, if you can't give them markers um, showing that their their contribution is being respected and heard, then it's essentially the same thing as though they are not heard. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So you can't just listen to someone. You have to let them know that you're listening. And for me, that's one of the, the truly most difficult parts of partnership it is, is listening all the way through, not just listening until they stop talking so you can add in your thoughts, but actually considering what they've said and including it in your calculations or your strategizing or your consideration of problems. So what are some ways we can do that? Because I mean, I think many of us have heard of the whole active listening where you say what they said and I heard you say this and it seems kind of ridiculous. And I know you call it it focused (laughs) listening. So yeah. what's the difference? So uh, the difference, okay, so a true conversation is a mutual exchange of ideas. Yes. And in order for that to happen, you have to hear the other idea. So the, the, the most <laughs> common, Sorry. the most That's common. Like, Whoa, there's a newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's really uncommon. In fact, what usually happens in modern conversations is this person says what they know and think and the other person says what they know and think and then back to the first person's knowing and thinking. It's not like I say what I know and think and the other person hears me all the way to the end of that and considers it and says, well, here's what I think about that and here's what I think on top of that. In other words, the conversation should be should be a growth enterprise. It should be a growth of ideas. Um, not one person, one plus one equals two. By the end of that conversation, that total should be somewhere around 100, right? Because you're adding, it's additive. That's not what happen, is happening. In order to have focused listening, you can't just listen for about five or 10 seconds until you've, you're ready to respond and then stop listening and wait for them to take a breath. And in order to do that, you have to sort of make um, make a habit of letting your thoughts go out of your head without holding on to them. So let's say that I just said that, letting your thoughts go out of your head without holding on to them. And you have immediately thought about 
what it is you want to say in response or you've thought about what your next question is. In order for you to continue focusing and listening, you have to let go of that thought you just had, let it just go out of your head, and then return to listening. And that means that by the time I'm done thinking, maybe it's a different response. Maybe you have a different question than the one you expected. Maybe your response is completely different because you let go of your initial response and allowed another to arise. And in the end, that's what you have to do. Yeah, that that's, that's so funny because as you were sharing that point, it made me aware that that's something I've learned doing interviews, much like you've done interviews, where, I mean, you have somebody saying something, they could have 25 different points in their comment. And you're like, oh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. And I had to teach myself to just go, whatever shows up at the end of this is where it's going to be, because it could take a totally different direction by the time they're done. Absolutely. And and the same is true in conversation, right? Absolutely. Sometimes we don't allow them to do that, though. We don't. We all we hear is those first five or ten seconds. I'm saying sometimes, but really, I mean almost always. <laughs> <laughs> so. How do we combat the, the, the habit that I'm sure you've seen, I've seen this, of listening to decide if we agree or not? And then if we decide we don't agree, we just quit listening. Yeah, absolutely. Or all you do is treat it like a debate and you start to preparing whatever it is you're going to say in response. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is actually, that's just you getting into the habit of noticing when you're doing that. Noticing when you're trying to decide whether you agree with someone or not and stopping yourself from doing it. (laughs) So the only way I was able to do that was first step, become aware. And frankly, that step is the hardest one. It means that you're actually paying attention to yourself um, in a way that most people just don't. We, We aren't always aware of how we listen or how we talk, quite frankly. Um, you know, a lot of people will get done with a five to 10 minute conversation and not only can they not really remember what the other person said, they often can't remember what they said. <laughs> um, so we're not always fully aware and engaged. And part of the reason is because we have this habit of continually trying to multitask. So we're sitting there having a conversation with one person and we're at the same time that we're supposedly listening to them. We're also thinking about what else we need to get done that day. Um, what time we need to get home in order to see the first, the opening of game and throw a game of Thrones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're trying to multitask while we're in a conversation. Um, so that's the first thing is to just be in that moment and aware of both what they're saying and what you are saying and hearing. Yeah, the the whole so-called multitasking <laughs> is Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. And I, I would, and go ahead. Well, okay, so it's a little bit of a catch-22 here. So I'm going to let everybody off the hook just a little bit and say that the attempt to multitask shoots dopamine into your brain. Um which is the the addiction hormone, right? Like so that's that's the that's the chemical that makes us addicted. And so it's probably pretty hard to stop the attempt to multitask. And the reason I'm saying attempt is because human beings can't multitask. Thank you. <laughs> we, our brain can't do that. There are some that can. 
Pigeons, for example, can truly multitask. They can think of two things at the same time. Our brains cannot. And so research shows that when you try to multitask, even though it feels good because of that dopamine, um, it feels like you're being productive. In fact, the quality of both tasks goes down by up to 25% and your IQ drops by 10 points. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's exceptionally bad for a human being to give in to that craving and try to multitask. And yet this happens all the time. And it happens especially, speaking of partnerships, it happens especially when we're on the phone with someone. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there also trying to answer email. And that's especially bad because email is communication. The phone is communication. You're literally trying to do two things with the same part of the brain. And your brain just it can't do it. Mm-hmm. So it has to choose. Eventually it has to choose what to pay attention to. And it, it just is not, it's not pretty. <laughs> no, I get that. You know, it's funny because I I learned this personally because I used to, like, I'd be trying to make a note and all of a sudden I'd be saying what I was writing. And it had nothing to do with what was currently being said. So I'd be trying to talk <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do that. And so now I just tell people, I'm like, I need to make a note right now. And if I try and do that while I talk, I'll tell you what I'm writing. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, it's where my brain was like, uh, no, you get to pick one or the other. You can't do both. It, that's exactly right. And and we don't do that, though. Mm-mm. And and part of it is that dopamine rush. Um, and I think also part of it has become our current society in which we just get really impatient really quickly. Right. We want things to happen immediately. Mm-hmm. And so having to sit through the very analog uh, version of communication that is known as uh, uh, a, a phone conversation can seem laborious to us. Um, but that's usually because we're not really listening. Like generally in com- conversation, something's happening all the time. We just stop. We just don't pay attention closely enough. Interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, the more that we study the human voice, you know, that's one of the things. And this is most of this um, is stuff that I've learned since the book was published. Um, And that's on the just absolutely unparalleled power of the human voice. We can't even understand it entirely scientifically all the communication that goes on just from the tone of your voice. But I will tell you the results of at least one uh, study, and this was carried out by Nicholas Epley and Juliana Schroeder in Chicago, among others, in which they found that, especially with opinions where we disagree, and this happens in partnerships all the time, right? They found that if you read an opinion with which you disagree in any format, in a book, in a newspaper, online, in an email, if you read it, you're more likely to think the other person disagrees with you because they're stupid and they don't understand the core issues. Whereas if you hear that person say the exact same opinion in their own voice, you're more likely to think they disagree because they have different perspectives and experiences. Meaning that there's something in the human voice which actually humanizes us. Mm 
Something about your human voice lets me recognize you as another human being. So when you're trying to replace that with texts or emails, that's where a lot of miscommunication comes in. Yes, and divisiveness. Absolutely. And you can see why, right? Yep. If it's the voice that humanizes us and we're not hearing other people's voices, it's no surprise to me that we've started hating each other. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fun. This is great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I want to ask you something, Celeste. I'm curious for you, like, can you give us an example of a partnership from your life where having powerful communication skills has actually made that partnership better? Like, what's a specific example that you've had? Um, well, I mean, I would have to say that um, working on a radio show, especially one like I, this show that I just re I just resigned from in in uh, Atlanta. Um, oh, I started that from scratch, and that's one of the hardest things that you can do in radio is create a brand new show. It's it's really difficult. It's just like creating a brand new business, except you're doing it in the view of the public with everyone hearing every mistake you make. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of communication skills, it was difficult sometimes when things would go wrong on the air, I would have to figure out a way to, to find what went wrong without being overly critical, without uh, turning things into a fight, without turning things into um, too emotionally charged. Um, and that's one of the things I describe in my book is how I sometimes didn't make it <laughs> <laughs> um, and did not do that successfully. Um, but in the end, being honest about the times when I, f I failed, being honest about the times when I was struggling to find the words or uh, you know, sometimes I would say things like, look, I'm really angry right now because this happened and it stressed me out and, you know, just bear with me because I'm going to come off as aggressive and I don't mean to. It's just that I'm upset. And, and so sometimes just finding that authenticity um, and having the respect for the other person, because in the end it is respect, to tell them the truth made the difference between success or failure in, in that kind of high stakes environment. Yes. I, I mean, because what I'm hearing you say there, Celeste, is, you know, you literally were saying, look, I know the way I'm going to express this is probably disproportionate to your reality. Yes. So just Absolutely. know that I already know that. Like, this is because I'm fired up right now. Yes. But here it and is because it needs to be said. Exactly. And I would say, listen, if I could put this off to another time, I would. Because I would wait until I was not angry or, you know, not upset or whatever it may be. But we got to handle it. So bear with me. And I apologize in advance. Um, and sometimes, especially in highly charged environments, especially when the stakes are high, it's just acknowledging your own humanity, which includes human mistakes, that will save you. Mm hmm. You can say that again. <laughs> well, what I yes. love about this is what you just shared, right? When, when you do that and you own that and you're like, yeah, I know this is going to be kind of out of proportion, but I got to I got to address this now. 
you're saving them from getting so taken out of the game by, whoa, why is y'all yelling at me? And now they can't hear anything. They're trying to figure out why the situation seems out of, out of accord. And you're like, I'm going to resolve that for you. I'm pissed. So now let's move forward so you can hear what we're talking about and we can address it. And it actually puts everybody in a better position to be in the conversation. Yeah, and I'm so glad you pointed that out because what you're really talking about there is putting people on the defense, right? Yeah. Um, when someone becomes defensive. And it's really what's really interesting to me is that they have discovered that when we're talking about when someone is on the defensive, what's happening inside their brains is literally the same thing that happens when that person is under attack. Mm-hmm. Like they are on when when you're talking about someone being defensive they are literally like pulling up the drawbridge and, <laughs> and and preparing to to pour out the molten oil like that's the situation that you're in and if you honestly think that any kind of good communication is going to happen at that point you are seriously in denial no there will be no good communication when someone else is preparing for attack so anything that you can do to prevent um them from becoming defensive is going to rescue your communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like you said, I mean, that defensiveness is an instinct and our instincts are all about self-preservation, which automatically means you can't be in partnership. Absolutely. I'm only thinking about me right now. Yeah. The partnership's gone. Out the window. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. Women and children first. That's exactly what happens. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Celeste, I want to ask you, because we're getting towards the end of the show, and I, I want to leave our listeners with a couple of like little specific gems they can take with them. And what I'd love to ask you is, what what would you say is the best like partnership or relationship advice relating to communication that, that you've ever received? Um, so I think the best I've gotten is to... to don't put your cell phone down, put it away. Um, because it turns out that if you, if a cell phone is present and visible, it's deeply distracting to your own brain. For example, your brain will be constantly trying to multitask. In other words, your brain is aware of that cell phone, the possibility that that cell phone might make noise that it, a notification might come in. And so part of your brain at all times is thinking about that. It's like a soldier on alert. But the, the most powerful thing that I learned that helped me was finding out that it actually really has an effect on the other person. So they, they did the study in which they had strangers come in and talk to each other. And in half of the situations, they placed a cell phone on the table. And they found that it belonged to neither person. It didn't make any noise. But they found that those people who spoke to one another with a cell phone visible and present were 60 to 70% more likely to say the other person was untrustworthy, unempathetic, and unlikable. Wow. Yeah. So again, profound effect on your brain, yes, but also on the other person, which means all those times that you're sitting down for lunch and you just place your cell phone on the table, you're setting yourself up for a bad situation. So that's some of the most powerful. And honestly, I've tried it out many times. It is the case. Don't put your cell phone down. Put it away. Okay, so everybody listening who's dating. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Do you want to have a good date? Get your phone off the table. Exactly. You're with that person. Who's more important than the date? For the next hour, for the next whatever. Put the phone away. Yeah, and is it? could you just leave it at home? You know, I get questions from parents all the time saying, how do I get my kid to stop being on the phone all the time? She just won't let go of the phone. And I say, is that what you're modeling? Are you able to leave the house without your phone? Can you walk away and leave your phone upstairs? And if not, well, then maybe it's you shouldn't start with your kid. <laughs> the addiction is yours. Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's so true. I mean, I, I've, I've made that comment to people before and they're like, you know, that's just nonsense. Like I had one woman, this is so great. She literally told me that she was frustrated because her the guy she'd been seeing wasn't texting her and wasn't responding to her text. And I said, well, didn't you tell me he's like on a holiday or something? She goes, well, no, no, no. He he um, he runs uh, charter fish expeditions. So he goes out and takes people out <laughs> to go fishing. And I said, do they have the Internet in the ocean? <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? I go, well, if his phone isn't going to do anything, all he can do is lose it. He probably left it in his car. She goes, why would he do that? I'm like, because it's nothing for him out there. He do it doesn't do anything for him. It's and she's like, and she couldn't even imagine this. And so she asked him when she first heard back from him. He goes, well, yeah, I don't take my phone on the boat. All I'm going to do is drop it in the ocean. <laughs> and and again, just to, to break some bubbles here, uh, Older people have a tendency to think that this is a major problem among the younger generation, but it's a major problem for everybody. Yes. I, I did a couple workshops at the TED conference in Vancouver this year, and I don't allow people to bring cell phones into my workshops. It's not allowed. Um, and so TED put a box by the door, and you had to put your cell phone in it to come into the workshop. And the millennials, I will tell you right now, without exception, the millennials all said, oh, okay, and dropped their phones into the box. The only people who objected were baby boomers. Mm. And two of them were so angry that they said, I'm going to complain to Ted. And I was like, "What? who do you think gave me the box? What are you, talk <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, it's okay. And this is these are people who are grown people who could not fathom leaving their cell phone in a box that was even within sight of them at all times for an hour and a half. So, no. yeah, wow. <laughs> there, we have a problem. Yes, that would be true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so, Celeste, I want to ask you another thing uh, that we can leave our listeners with, which is obviously you've got two amazing books out there. What other book or resource would you recommend to our listeners and why? Um, there's a few that I would recommend. And let me start with a book from Nicholas Epley, who I think I've mentioned a couple mm -hmm. times, and it's called MindWise. Um, and I, I mean, both, the only reason I'm recommending either of these is because they made such a big difference for me uh, in terms of opening up my understanding of communication. Um, but Nicholas Epley's book really puts it in term in the terms of our, our ability to understand the minds of others that we don't even realize how much power we have. He calls it the sixth sense that the way that we can sense the what other people believe, what they think, what they feel, and what a superpower that is. It, it's really mind it was really mind blowing for me. Um, and the the other book I'd recommend is called The Knowledge Illusion. 
Um, and that one I recommend because it, Yes, it's the the point of it and the reason it's called that is because it basically exposes um, how much we don't know, but how much we think we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it in a way which is it's just it's not shaming. <laughs> it's not trying to say it's it, it that we're stupid. All it's doing is saying, look, this is a human problem, and it's an especially especially a 21st century human problem. And so together we have to grapple with this idea that we think we know more than we do and we don't allow other people to be experts in things anymore. We, we all think that everyone is a Google click away from being an expert on whatever it is. And, and that's, that's a real uh, detriment to our collective cognition. Mm. Our, our collective ability to solve problems. And so that one I thought was actually quite empowering in terms of teaching us to rely on other people. Let other people be good at stuff and let yourself specialize in things. I love that. Yeah. That's so, so good. Thank you. Those are two amazing sounding books. I can't wait to check them out. Thank you. I hope you do check them out. Yeah. I love them. So, unfortunately, we're running to the end of the show. I'd love to talk to you for the next three days, but that probably doesn't make sense for either of us. So, do me a favor. Would you let our listeners know how they can contact you, how they can learn more about what you do? Sure. I mean, the easiest thing is just to go to the website, celesteheadley.com. There is a contact page there that goes directly to me and my manager. It doesn't, you know, end up in the netherworlds of the internet. Um, so we will hear from you there. I also am pretty active on social media and I respond to people on Facebook and on, on, on Twitter. Um, and, uh, however, you know, however you contact me, I hope that I can answer your questions, but you know, the main thing I want to let people know is that they have, we all have the power in our heads. Like everyone says, well, what's my first step? What's my first step? And the main thing I want to tell you to everybody is the best way to become a great conversationalist is just to have more conversations. (laughs) So, Hmm. you know, do it, get out there and, and and do it. It's like the best way to become a reporter is to report on things. Um, Start talking to people and you'll get better. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Celeste, your insights, just incredible. So much knowledge here. I know people are sitting there going, what just happened to me? Um, (laughs) Which is great. That's what this is about. So thank you again for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.